Please join me in prayer. God, as we hear the fiery words of John the Baptist so many centuries ago, we ask that you would burn in our hearts, that you would warm up our souls, that we might radiate your kind of light, and that the words of our mouths and the meditations of all our hearts may be truly acceptable in your sight. O God, our rock and our redeemer, let the people say, In the 15th year of the reign of Emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea and Herod was the ruler of Galilee, and his brother Philip, ruler of the region of Eritrea and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, ruler of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Anas, Anas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. This is the, sixth, the second week of Advent. We know that the mother is expecting. We know that good things are supposed to come. We're holding on, but there are some of us, I suppose, who may not be feeling it quite yet. Some of you may not have had, had it happen for you yet, who have not taken in the holiday spirit or it hasn't gotten hold of you. Some of us can pinpoint that moment. It might have come last Sunday when we were hanging the greens, or on Friday night when we fast-forwarded a few weeks to Epiphany with the Magi visiting a mall, the night visitors coming, which if you haven't seen it, I invite you to come at 4.30. You'll be in for a special treat that will delight you. And still, there are days when an Advent pregnancy can feel complicated. When the morning sickness is just so bad that we are sick to our stomachs with the news and we feel like throwing up, when we just want to pull up the covers and stay home. There are times when we may have lost hope that this birth of Christ could possibly ever happen again. And so we come to church hoping for a little inspiration, hoping for a good word, hoping for some connection, and we hear this charming text from the Gospel of Luke. You brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit worthy of repentance. Bum, bum, bum. The Baptist thunders. This is my sixth Advent season with you. And as we know, in the world around us, it's the high holy days of American consumer capitalism. And Advent is a little bit different than that. Advent is this lead-up. Advent is this preparation time that we try to do spiritually in here before we get to Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. And then we have 12 days before we welcome the Magi to come again with their gifts. And so I always wonder how we need to prepare, and we have plenty of opportunities for you to do that here with our Advent devotionals, our missions giving fair this afternoon, our devotional windows that are being set up, as well as this afternoon's performance of a mall. And those of you may remember that I'm partial to the texts that are often not in the assigned readings, but the ones about the announcements and the visitations. When Gabriel comes to Zechariah and tells him that he and Elizabeth will have a son, or when Mary gets the news she's pregnant and she breaks into her big number, the Magnificat, or when Joseph has a dream that it's all going to be all right, don't worry about it, or the chorus of angels coming to the shepherds working that late shift out on the hills. 
In our chapel on Thursday evenings, in a moment of contemplation, about a half hour, we will focus on those stories. We did this last Thursday night. They're the stories of fear not. And behold, I bring you great tidings, good tidings of great joy. And if you want to hear them again, come and join us Thursday. But when we get to these prophetic and apocalyptic texts, it's sort of, well, it tweaks my advent just a bit. Amy last week helped us understand that those apocalyptic texts, the ones with scary visions and talk of getting ready for the end times, are meant to stir up thoughts and feelings in us about where God is in this time, our time. I was visiting with one of my colleagues last week who said, we're living in unprecedented times. And I said, well, I think we're always living in unprecedented times. I've been watching this past week the Vietnam War documentary from last year of Ken Burns and Lynn Novick, and I was startled last night to revisit 1968, 50 years ago, which those of you who lived through it know that was a pretty rough year. Martin Luther King and Bobby Kennedy shot down the Democratic National Convention becoming a sort of police state, described as such by no less an establishment figure than Walter Cronkite, and also... The wheels were coming off the wagon in our misadventure in Vietnam. The death toll was going up. And we elected someone that year who committed an act of treason in trying to tilt the election. That was 50 years ago. And people who lived through it thought things were coming apart here. Or we can dial back to 1940. There are a few of you who lived during that time in which the dark hand of fascism had almost completely taken Western Europe and was headed across the English Channel, or 1860 in this country in which things were really falling apart in a very official, sanctioned way. I don't want to belittle what's happening in our time this time, but when you take a longer historical view, you realize that crazy political stuff, thuggish leaders, demagogues, oppression and suppression, uncivil behavior, and huge schisms among the people are as ongoing as any other aspects of the human condition. Which is why, I think, the preaching of John the Baptist is still relevant. Because John is consistently a favorite in the Advent season. He's just so out there. He's so wild child, so unusual and startling, so over the top. I often look at some of the wilder people living on our streets and I see John the Baptist. Hair grown into dreads, long unkempt beards, layers of torn clothes and shopping baskets full of weird, seemingly useless stuff, but precious to them. And I've spoken with enough homeless people over my life to know there are some geniuses out there in the streets, people who have brains and guts and enough will and grit to leave some of us financially secure, housed people completely in the dust. We have a regular John the Baptist who comes into our office several times a week and literally declares the good news to us, often comes here for worship and coffee hour, and I always say we've gotten our visit from John the Baptist this week. I sometimes wonder if we invited any of these prophets in our streets to come up into the pulpit and preach what they would say to us. What truth would they render? What would they warn us about? What would they ask us to repent of? Now, today, on December 9th, John comes again, just as we've begun trimming our trees and started going on holiday parties and concerts. 
So we're figuring out our gift list, just as we're starting to buy the eggnog and spirits. And he comes out of the desert, fresh from his breakfast of locusts and wild honey, and his camel hair tunic, his hair going every which way, just preaching the fire of the gospel. One of my favorite descriptions of John the Baptist is this, that in the season of Advent, you, on your way to Bethlehem, you have to go through the wilderness. And when you do, you hear John preach. And this is how one preacher describes it. John had a stump for his pulpit, stars for the chandelier of his cathedral. The Jordan River was his baptistry, and that's where he preached. It was not smooth and beautiful preaching. He was not a chef serving up fancy dishes. He just broke the bread of God with his bare hands and said, eat it and live. He was not some beautiful candle burning quietly in the sanctuary, but rather he was a prairie fire, the fire of God scorching the earth. He was not a diplomat trying to make yes sound like no and no sound like yes and make everybody feel okay. Instead, he said things like, the judge is coming and I'm here to serve subpoenas. Get in line. (laughs) It was hard, unstinting stuff. It's the kind of preaching that got him imprisoned and eventually had his head served up on a platter at a royal banquet. But, you know, it says people just couldn't get enough of the stuff. Maybe they were just curious or maybe they were bored and needed some entertainment. Maybe they needed some hoping, some longing, some craving something, some relief from the relentless oppressiveness of their lives. Whatever reason they came, just as you and I have come this morning. And what does John preach about? Repentance. Now, I don't know about you, but you may have grown up with repentance being a kind of scary concept. Something sort of used like sin to bat you around the head and make you feel bad about yourself. But one of the great lessons I learned in divinity school, which I have shared before and I love to continue to share, is that repentance in the original Greek, of which Luke wrote, means changing your mind, turning things around, changing the direction of your soul. It's quite liberating, actually, to think of repentance in this way, because you and I all need times to turn things around. I wonder if, in the second year of the presidency of Donald Trump, When Charlie Baker is governor of Massachusetts and Marty Walsh, mayor of Boston, and Mel Kleckner, administrator of the town of Brookline. When Francis is the pope of the Roman Catholic Church and our various officials in the Methodist, Baptist, and United Church of Christ churches. If the word of God were to come to some wild-looking guy like John, cousin of Jesus, what would he say to us about repentance? Maybe he'd say something like, you bunch of snakes. Who told you to freak out about the things that are coming? Bear some fruits worthy of turning things around. Do not begin to say to yourselves, we are Americans, we are Christians, we are well-educated people. We live in the comfort and freedom of a great nation. We have George Washington and Abigail and John Adams and Abraham Lincoln and Harriet Tubman as our ancestors. For I tell you, God is able from stones to raise up others around the world who may enjoy the kind of lifestyle and privilege that you enjoy. Even now, the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. And we would be stunned, and we would say to this seemingly cockeyed, unhoused preacher, what would you have us do? And in reply, he might say to us, Whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none. 
Whoever has two homes must share with anyone who has none. Whoever has space for the refuge, the asylum seeker, the homeless must find room for them. And whoever has food must do the same, not just on the individual level, but on the big level. And then the government officials and the financial people would come to be baptized, and they might ask him, Teacher, what should we do? And he'd say, Collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. Do not gouge people in the name of capitalism or your country's self-interest or with your self-aggrandizing investment schemes, but look to the betterment of all of God's children. Build systems of justice and responsible financial management. Do not extort money from anyone by threats of false accusations, but be satisfied with your wages. Now, I wonder if we had that kind of preaching from John, how that would affect Sunday morning. Perhaps it would start to thin out in here a little bit. Or maybe people would get curious. Maybe they want to hear some hard truths and some searing accusations or just some entertainment, maybe for a while. Just think about how far we would get, how influential we might be. I imagine there are some politicians you'd like to go preach to. You'd like to say, you pack of snakes, who told you to bicker and parlay and play to win at all costs, regardless of your principles? Who told you to fund the Pentagon full to overflowing and spend $20,000 a second on warfare while people go starving in the streets? Who told you to send poor soldiers off to save us from terror, people with very little economic opportunity who are tormented in return, while you make the rest of us sacrifice virtually nothing in our daily lives. There might be some people on Wall Street you'd like to go preach to, you brood of vipers. Who told you to steal pensions from your workers and leverage subprime mortgages and junk bonds for your own wealth? When are we going to see some ethical treatment for all your workers? When are we going to see the CEO salaries more in appropriate proportion to the rest of the workforce? When are we going to see the accumulation of wealth with some real goals of bettering society, creating new opportunities, helping everyone have a shot of seizing the American dream rather than for your own sake. Get ready for Judgment Day, folks, because you're going to get yours. I imagine there are some of us who'd like to say to some relative or old friends, you leech, why don't you get your act together and stop siphoning off the goodwill of everyone around? Or maybe want to say to someone, Get into therapy or recovery and stop screwing up everybody's life. Or maybe we need to say that to ourselves. I just wonder where this kind of talk would get us. Because you see, when you get right down to it, all of us need some tough love once in a while. All of us need someone to help us see where we've gotten off track, where we've lost our way, where we are listening only to ourselves and not to the signs and wonders around us where we have lulled ourselves with the anesthesia of our own self-delusion. And let's face it, all of us are deluded one way or another. I'm not convinced that the first century hardcore fire and brimstone preaching of John the Baptist is always going to get us there, but I do think we all need a course corrective now and then. See, John's preaching wasn't all prairie fire. You hear in this text how he gives some outs. He gives some very good prescriptions for repentance, for turning things around. He says that we are to share what we have, to go a little extra for those in need, to remember that we are all in this together, to not be afraid to change our mind for the sake of good news, for the sake of getting ready. 
I'm aware that the last time I preached on this text was in 2012, right after the shooting in Newtown in Connecticut. And it's sobering to think that the questions I thought God might ask us, that John might ask us then, are still even more relevant today about what kind of culture we're breeding or where are we headed or how did we get there. And I'm pretty sure that John the Baptist would have a few choice things to say to us about it. I imagine he'd be a lot more Malcolm X than Joel Austin about the whole thing. He'd want to know what we expect. What are we doing? How are we going to shake things up a bit? How are we going to get out of our our comfortable prejudices and unchecked assumptions about how the world works? And take them back home with us before we put another log on the fire or another ornament on the tree. You see, I believe that John wanted to make sure that everything was ready for Christ to come, that maybe Jesus' ministry might have a chance among us, and each Advent, you and I recommit ourselves to that ideal. I don't know. Maybe to get through this Advent pregnancy, there's some cleaning up each one of us needs to do. Maybe we need to clean the house a bit and get the nursery ready. Make sure there's plenty of formula and cleaning supplies so that we can give this Christ child all he needs to grow and nurture in us. Maybe there's some forgiving we need to do. Maybe there's some settling of our own accounts. Maybe there's some getting over long-held grudges and some real efforts for reconciliation. Maybe there's a gift we need to give someone a need before we ever buy something for ourselves or for our loved ones. Or maybe there's some attention we need to give our loved ones before we go off to make another buck. This morning we lit the candles of hope and the candles of love, because that's what we do. We're Christians, and we believe in turning things around. Amen.